They say if you read the marks on the child, they'll lead you all the way to dry land. Dry land's a myth. Well, some still believe. They say the smokers even got an eye out for her. Well then, we better keep it to ourselves. <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 15 and 16. This chunk begins with the banker declaring the Mariner's dirt pure, and it ends with Nord getting some insider information from a hydroholic. Our special guest this week, because it is an episode that is divisible by four, and if all calendars were perfect, this would be the last week of the month, but it's not. So we're just going to go with it anyway. We're talking to Dave Palace from Five Minutes of Mystery. Dave, how you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm excited to be here. I am actually legitimately excited to talk about Winterworld. You sat down and watched not just the two minutes I gave you. You watched the entire three hour cut of this movie and you sent me a few messages over the course of the yes. evening. But I want to get the pure emotion flowing out of you from this experience. I approached it as like, cause I think I've only probably watched this the first time before back in the blockbuster days. And I was a child. So I didn't get any of the actual, like outside of the action scenes. So I'm watching it as an adult. I'm watching it as a guy who like understands the polarized caps are a problem. They're really melting. That We are having heat wave problems. And as a guy who, gets Mad Max because you've also done a podcast about Mad Max. That's why we're here. So I looked at it from all those perspectives and I think Costner is doing his best. I just feel like the Mariner, they want the Mariner to feel like Mad Max. But I think the fact that we do not have the actual Mad Max movie, we don't have why Max became a cop to the outlander of, you know, just a wastelander man. I think that's the biggest thing missing with the Mariner. He just comes out of nowhere. He shows up with dirt. That's where the movie just starts. And we're like, this man is like 40 years old or something. Like he, like he looks weathered, both by the sun and by his age. What has his life been? Like, how is he, you know, where has he come from? How has he not gotten there? So that's a little quant. But what makes up for it is Dennis Hopper immediately goes into the pantheon of villains right next to Morton Joe, next to Toe Cutter next to Humongous. So it's like, that's great. We have an amazing villain. And every time Dennis Hopper's on screen, you can't help but just smile and be like, man, this guy was like one of the all-time great villains of cinema. Love to see him there. And the one thing that definitely does make this movie entertaining that I was interested in watching was the action scenes, the stunt work. You don't get to see that much in movies now. It's all covered in with CGI. And you could easily tell I'm watching a multi-million dollar stunt show on screen and I'm following it. It's not nonsense. Like I get, they get these and then here come the jet skis. Boom over here. They're shooting like, you know, he's pulling the boat. You see the boat turning. The camera work direction was amazing. It's not like sometimes you see cheap action movies now where it's just shaky cam and a lot of CGI nonsense to try and fill it in. So I am honestly ha happy that I saw this film. Like I gave it the most fair shake and I'm like, 80% of it, I was like, okay with. I was like, okay with it. Like, I give it like a, like a 7.3 out of 10. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, maybe earlier when we were talking about ratings for this movie, 7 out of 10 sounds in the range that we rated it when we started, right? Yeah, I think I gave it a 6.5. That seems like a pretty average range. On the scale of people who enjoy this movie, I think, Dave, you are right smack dab there in the middle. This movie is for you. Yeah, I feel like this movie, I'm glad I watched the three hour cut, but it's at the same time, it's like I don't need to see it again. If anything, I would just like to watch the action scenes. So it's not a movie where you go, oh, I, I want to know more about that. Like, no, everything was explained to me. I get the map. I get the language. I get everything the science guy said. So it's not like I need repeat viewings, but I am glad I watched it. I am glad I actually watched this long cut. I felt like they didn't have to worry about trying to make it tight. They were like, just let it flow. I think the biggest qualms of shots I had was 
they didn't know how to end scenes, so they just had like Kevin Costner snarl. He would go back to the boat, <laughs> and they would just do a helicopter shot of him piling the boat, and, like, and that's the end of the scene. And what sucks is you could tell like that day they filmed him doing it, they didn't have the women there. You know, so it's like they would be like arguing with him, like, why don't you do this? Why are you being such a jerk? And he's like, <sighs> goes off. And then just a shot where it's like they're not the girls aren't there. Like they should be right standing next to him. But there's just him on an empty boat. You know, uh, that and maybe like later when you're talking about it, he gets shot and like there's really no consequence. So he just, ah, I got dinged. Do you want to go underwater? <laughs> that's, it. Like, just, that's the end of the scene. He gets dinged by Dennis Hopper. Then they go underwater and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, he got he took a bullet in the back and just kind of shrugged it. That's definitely one of the things that I'm looking forward to talking about because it's not just that he got dinged. Like, it's bullet through his torso. It went in his back, came out his right, and it's just an open wound. And then the smokers burn the trimaran and he has to hang out underwater, which is, I know something, Julia, that you are going to have a lot to say about. The rescue breathing scene is a oh. whole other thing. <laughs> He's part fish. We have to allow part of it. A tic tac amount of suspension of disbelief, Julie. Just, a, just a yes. smidge. Yes. Like the smidge. But I agree. But a smidge because he's like he's smidge. like fish man, fish man from mysterious place with the blood, the water, and all the nonsense. You only see that fish monster once. Mm -hmm. It feels like a Chekhov's gun that feels it needs to get fired one more time. I went out there. Giant fish comes and he goes, "Oh, they're sleeping now." Yeah, but. There's like explosions. Like that's not going to wake up the giant Resident Evil 4 lake monster. <laughs> Those whale fins, they do not do enough in this movie. Was, yeah, wasn't there actually, yeah, wasn't, wasn't there a scene? Maybe you're going you're gonna to get to that later, but it's like there were like shark fins going underneath the boat. Those are just sharks. They were just sharks for the sake of sharks. Those are trained sharks that the smokers used to, to track down bleeding people. Oh, Which seriously? is a oh, whole wait, other really? thing. Yeah. The giant fish what? that tries to eat Kevin Costner, that's something called a whale fin. And okay. it's heavily featured at the beginning of the spinoff comic books. <laughs> the sharks that track a bleeding Kevin Costner are just regular trained sharks. And they're probably a holdover because in the earlier Peter Rader script, the pirates, which are not specifically called smokers, have sharks that have ropes tied around them. And they release them from cages on the side of the boats to go after people. And then they just crank them back into the cage when they're done eating. I really do wish we did see that because <laughs> I love that. I honestly, I love that. I love the idea that they're, that's how like, they'll track you. But I missed it. Like that went over my head. Like I was like, oh, cool sharks. Are they going to come back? And I was like, oh, it's never been a shark attack. And I love I loved that. It's a shame that they didn't get really put in. <laughs> but there's plenty of time to talk about sharks later on down the road, because we need to focus in on the actual set of minutes that we're talking about. We're at the bank here on the atoll, and we are sitting down with the banker. He, at the very tail end of last week's episode, put a little bit of dirt in his mouth, and he tasted it. And at the very top of today's episode, he states that he is tasting pure dirt. Pure dirt. And that the Mariner has brought in 3.2 kilos, which works out to a little over 7 pounds. Good. That's a good chunk of dirt. Change. Yeah, that's yeah. a good little pile of dirt. Yeah. I have questions about the term pure dirt. And I didn't look anything up because I just thought of this now. Mm -hmm. What does that even mean? I mean, dirt is dirt. I think what it could have been is maybe people try to bring dirt, but maybe it's like what they find some dirt. Maybe it's like dried oil. Maybe it's excrement that's been dried and caked. Essentially, they're trying to, like, uh, cut the product by, like, mixing it with other refuse. That's an interesting idea, because that's what the atoll does, mm -hmm. is they use compost of mm -hmm. all sorts to supplement what dirt they do have to grow things. So that might be a decent trade of people, yeah, cutting dirt, mm -hmm. and this is not cut. When I heard the phrase pure dirt, the thing that I thought of first was the old, I guess it's a saying or some sort of practice, the idea that the army rolls through and they salt the earth so that nothing can grow. And that led me on a little bit of a tangent where I learned about salinity in the soil and ways that salinity can rise and fall. 
there was a really cool Reddit post that I found on r slash ask science where someone asked very specifically about a scene from The Simpsons where Homer destroys Flanders' garden and <laughs> salts the earth so that he can't grow anything. <laughs> so one of the posters, a guy named Towden, he commented that the way plant roots work is through osmosis. And the whole idea is that when there is moisture in the soil, the osmosis seeks to equalize the moisture between the soil and the plant roots. And so if there is a lot of salt in the soil, that is going to absorb a lot of the water and pull the water out of the plants. Mm -hmm. So this salt builds up over time when you're just constantly planting and reaping and planting and reaping. Water goes in, it evaporates, leaves the salt behind, and too much salt in the ground is a bad thing for plants. And so the way you get rid of that extra salinity is you flood the field and the salt goes into the water. And when the water flows away, it takes the salt with it. That's why one of the best growing situations for avoiding oversalinized dirt are the step terrace type farms that you see in Southeast Asia and rice paddies and things like that. Right, because they're in the presence of lots of fresh water. Yep, and it's constantly flowing. Ah. Okay, so along those lines of salting the earth, it does seem that any dirt, even dirt that the mariner pulls up from the bottom, would be heavy with salt because it lived in a saltwater environment. And as he dries it out, he's not removing the salt, he's just removing the water. Which tells me that he might have a way... I guess, washing the dirt that he brings up from the bottom of the ocean. Some sort of treatment that he's able to put it through that pulls that salt out. Like maybe he'll have a little bucket full of dirt. He pours some fresh water into it, waits for all the sediment to settle, and then he skims the water out or something. Yeah. The banker, he does this by taste. Mm -hmm. So perhaps... If there's too much salt in dirt, maybe that's something you can taste. I mean, salt is a very distinctive taste. So maybe we're talking about the levels of salt in dirt that you can taste. If it's not salty, then it's good for growing. Mm -hmm. An entire world living on salt water. Everyone would become like experts in saltiness. Like everyone's tongues would like be like, this is the world we live in. Your tongue has to get used to like eating, tasting salt constantly. Constantly. I'm willing to bet that when someone on Waterworld puts something in their mouth and it doesn't have a salt content, it stands out like yeah. a bright flash of light, red flags, alarm sounds like, holy cow, the salt taste isn't there. Yeah. Imagine when he ate that tomato. Like when he cut that tomato and he's eating it, that had a taste like nobody's business. Or even <laughs> the limes. Like imagine you'd be like, ooh, like a sour flavor, sour sweet. What a exactly. What a difference. Yeah. I brought up the idea when it was on screen of the drifter eating these limes straight and how weird that was. And Julia, I think you brought up that, no, they don't have a diverse range of flavors to choose from. So it's just different enough to be pleasant. Yeah. Well, he, didn't get, he didn't get long to cherish that. <laughs> he didn't get long at all. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the one bite. He got smoked. <laughs> In the novelization, the Mariner actually shows up with a bit more dirt than he does here in the movie. It says, 7.9 kilos, the banker whispered. His eyes were wide with greed and amazement. Pure. A gasp came from the crowd of atollers. Long ago, gold and silver had been considered precious. In Waterworld, gold and silver had no practical use. Both would sink like the stones they were. But dirt was something wonderful. Hey, they're not stones. <laughs> uh, I have problems with those statements. <laughs> the reason why gold is so useful is, and I don't even know a lot about gold, but I know that it conducts electricity oh. like, really, really well. These people have electricity. The Mariner generates his own electricity. The Atoll has their own electricity. You can't tell me gold isn't useful. And people still, once in a while, wear forms of jewelry. Like, little bits. Like, a necklace here, mm -hmm. maybe a bracelet. So, yeah. no, there is some vanity. People do like to put a little thing. Because you see, like, sometimes people will wear, like, what looks to be, like, a chip of aluminum. Like, from a soda can. And so it's like, no, they would they would like a little 
gold emblem. So, no, it's not 100% malarkey. It's not completely worthless. Yeah. It's heavy, sure, but it's it's it, it serves purposes, yeah. I think the important thing about gold and silver not being used as currency in this world anymore is that you can't eat or drink it. Yeah. And you can't grow anything in it. This banger, this is really the first time we've seen him, and he is played by Jack Kaler. Sometimes he's credited as Jack Keeler, so I think that H might be a little bit more subtle. But he, according to IMDb, is best known for Lost Highway from 1997, Fever Pitch from 2005. He was in Men in Black 2 in 2002, and then it rounds out the top four with his role here as the banker in 1995. He has a extensive IMDb listing, which makes it very frustrating that his online biography is so succinct. Jack Kaler was born on May 22nd, 1946 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He worked as a waiter in New York until he decided to pursue a career in theater at the age of 24. In 1982, he was admitted into the actor's studio. After a while, he moved to Los Angeles. Keller has 168 actor credits listed on IMDb, beginning in 1983 with his role as a gas station attendant in Strange Invaders, and he's not done yet, with three roles listed in 2020 and another one currently filming. As far as being connected to Kevin Costner, Jack Keller was in Wyatt Earp. He played a guy named Bob Hatch. I remember him mostly as the dude's landlord of Big Lebowski. <laughs> hey, dude, I have my show tonight. And he does that funny art theater. They're all like in the... I love like Walter and, him, all, and the dude are in the theater. They're talking about like... Uh, I think that's where they're going to like uh, do the, the the switch or something with the money in the briefcase. And then we'll... Yeah, then we'll go to the in and out <laughs> It's crazy how much TV this guy has been in. Yeah, right? Everything from genre shows like The Magicians and I guess The Man in the Highest Castle is also a genre show, but also just like procedurals. Like he was on at least one episode of NCIS Los Angeles. He was on Franklin and Bash, The Cleaner, Bones, The Mentalist. 24. Cold Case. I I look at these and I'm like, oh, wait, those are shows that Dave watches. These are shows I watch. (laughs) I don't remember him all these things. I think the one I think it's because he's so memorable to me that scene because it is his scene in Big Lebowski. The movie almost like stops for two minutes. It's like, no, watch this guy's theater performance. And you're like, what is this? And you're like, don't we have to like deal with the nihilists, dude? <laughs> so I think that's why he's so memorable because the movie like there's a whole thing. You know, we got Bunny, we got the nihilists, we got Walter, and then the movie just stops. It's like, all right, you got he, the guy go see his show tonight. And you're like, oh, this is so weird. What a what a quirky little you know little man. Just be like, you know, the rents do. Can you also see my show? And I love his portrayal of the banker. The idea that he's this. I don't want to call him shifty looking, but he's like a little squirrely. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that descriptor, squirrely. <laughs> I think it's also it's a little bit of uh, excitement because I mean, there's the whole s- scene. You guys want talked about the other weeks where it's just like he get he shows up and the enforcer and a lot, everyone's kind of like not up. They're not up for doing trades. They're not up for doing stuff until he goes, no, I got something you really want to see. I got dirt. So that's the only reason he would have got in. Like he probably couldn't have bartered with anything else on his boat. And so I think they were very, he was very, probably the banker probably got woken up. He's probably just like dicking around. And the elders were like, <laughs> we need this dirt and you have to make sure the transaction goes well with this mariner. And so he's kind of like, ooh, like, and like the fact that we're going to talk about this, he's not, doesn't even know how to judge it. Like he's not dealt with this amount of dirt. Like maybe he, maybe cops of dirt, maybe like dirt that was in a fish that someone ate and that got a little, I'm serious. Like how else would you get dirt without being fish man? And it would probably be like, you would catch something that ate something that was a bottom feeder. And so there would be some dirt in like, kind of like when you eat a clam and sometimes there's a little dirt in it. That's like a quarter of an ounce of dirt at most you'd get in those little those little shellfish. Hell, what's her name? I don't actually know. Uh, uh, Helen. She she even mentions like she doesn't the concept of shell uh, earrings he's got. She never saw them before, which is crazy. Like th- no one even sees shells because like there are you don't really find them until you're on a beach or something or you're picking through the ground. You know those people 
that when you ask them about their job, they get really excited and they just love talking about it. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those people. Yeah. He loves this so much. <laughs> one of the other things about the banker is that in the computer game that they made for this oh my movie, gosh. the real-time strategy game, he's one of the recurring characters. He comes back alongside the enforcer and the preamp, and you have so many interactions with him, and the whole time he's just like, oh man, there is a atoll, and we gotta wreck this place. We're gonna take their guns, and we're gonna take their water, we're gonna take all their plants and stuff, and the idea of going out and destroying these other people fills him with so much glee as he gives you these missions. And at one point you bring back smoker weapons and he's like, Oh man, look at these guns. And he's just like gleeful. <laughs> you can watch all of the RTS videos on YouTube and I would highly recommend doing it. Right now I'm watching the SNES game. Is that what you're talking about? Or is no, it no. something else? This is the interplay real-time strategy game called Waterworld The Quest for Dryland. Oh my god. Yeah. The NES and the Sega Genesis games have some primo music to them. Okay. But as far as as far as raw performances are concerned, you've got to go with the Interplay game, for sure. I'm surprised we haven't watched that together yet. I watched it just because it was 10-15 minutes worth of footage. It wasn't that long, because it was... an mid-90s game, so mm-hmm. they could only pack so much information onto a compact disc. <laughs> yeah. I am watching clips of it. Wow. You're like controlling what looked to be like just cavemen. They're just like naked cavemen with like crossbows going around atolls shooting guys. Oh my gosh. And the atolls that you go around are basically the same map. So you're just starting at different points on the atoll and going <laughs> around and Telling, okay, you squad of guys, shoot at that squad of guys, and then you wait for them to finish shooting. Oh, God. And you just keep moving. <laughs> Strategy is in quotations. Yeah, I'll take the SNES one, which was like just a platformer, and like they made Kevin Costner's hair like bright yellow blonde. Yeah, it's a different look <laughs> for him. <laughs> okay, so the banker says three point whatever kilos, and we cut to a shot of the mariner and he's standing there is of course a crowd gathered behind him because these people are nosy as all get out and there's this lady off to the left who reaches out and yeah touches his arm or something like yeah. that yeah what like, was that what are you doing lady like yeah what is her is she trying to make a personal connection or something it's definitely something off of his belt that drew her attention but i mean he's not really carrying anything okay let's see he's wearing a watch up here Clearly, probably broken watch, but he likes the, the, the light shine of it. A couple bracelets. But, yeah, I don't know what's off of his belt that she finds so damn attracting. Yeah, I'd like to think that she was trying to brush up against him. Oh, hello, rich man with all the dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's important about this exchange is that the banker wants to know where all of this dirt came from. And this is where he mentions a new form of measurement we learned from the drifter that you could say oh it's this many days away but the mariner he nods off to the west and he says that there was another atoll 30 horizons west so i know we've already talked about how far you can see from the naked eye Mm -hmm. as far as how far away the horizon is well tell me tell me tell me in standard atmospheric conditions for an observer with an eye level above sea level of 1.7 meters or 5 foot 7 inches which is average the horizon is at a distance of about 5 kilometers or 3.1 miles away. So the mentioned atoll is likely 150 kilometers or roughly 93 miles away. Okay. Okay. That's got to be a pain in the ass to try and measure. Like, you have to find a way to measure. Because, like, if there's nothing to reference from, like, you leave the, at- the atoll, you find a way to record, like, between when I leave this direction and I admit I, I don't see the atoll anymore, mm-hmm. that's one horizon. Cool. But then you're like, now when do I start recording? Like, the next one. Like, there's no hourglass. There's no... Exactly. Unless you have some sort of measuring tool on your boat, you can't go by landmarks. That's not how the ocean works. Yeah. And I don't know if any of these people record time. Like, 
is it daylight or is it nighttime? Is that all it is? Like, do they not say like, because he says they, you know, when he talked about the monster fish, he was like, they don't, they're sleeping now. So he knows the sleeping times of the sea monsters of like when he's allowed to go down, whenever that is. Well, people, humans have been navigating large bodies of water for centuries. Mm -hmm. And much of that time, there was no longitude and latitude system. There were no clocks. There were no maps. And so they used the stars, obviously. Yeah. Huge part of it is navigating by the stars. But also math. If you know how long it takes you to go from the atoll to when the atoll slips over the horizon, now you have a time frame for the next part. If it takes you the same amount of time, then that's two horizons. I think that sailors, drifters have a lot more math skills than they let on, Mm -hmm. than they show us in the movie. Because it's not really that important to us Mm -hmm. to actually show us them keeping their records. But without keeping those records, there's no way for them to know where they are. Yeah. There's a huge gap in my knowledge when it comes to how to navigate by the stars. But I understand that that is a learned skill that has to be acquired. Yeah. And it's not something that I've devoted the time to learning how to do. Right. You need to get Maui to teach you. That's <laughs> how, how to it is. I got to get on the boat and hold my hand up and measure it against the stars. And then I can sing the song that they sing in the, the yeah. movie. The song is the most important part. If you don't sing the song, then you can't find your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I played an RPG where we were sailors and we sang shanties, but the shanties were also cursed. Nice. And so the, it was it was it was an in progress game. It's not complete. It's coming up like Kickstarter like next year. I played it like uh, Gen Con Digital. And so like the people in a Zoom call, we were like this. We we're in a Zoom call and we <laughs> sang this each part. We sang a shanty. It was a real shanty. Like he looked up shanties. And then what we did was he he essentially like then gave us conflicts while we're on our boat. And we had to refer to the shanty of like, how would we solve this problem like the shanty is giving us? Mm. And you essentially gain experience by like writing the shanties down, which is like a not your they're cursed, you're not supposed to, <laughs> but stuff like that. Essentially, like one of the lines was them them Spanish girls ain't got no combs. That was one of the lines in the shanty. Well, he had a mermaid fall onto the boat, but it wasn't like fun, sexy mermaid. It was like teeth gnawing mermaid, and she kept cursing at us in Spanish. And so the one guy he found fish bones. That looked like a comb, and he essentially did the Jurassic Park bit, and then he tossed the fishbone comb over the edge, and then the 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 the, the mermaid, like with her teeth and claws, like launched off off the boat into the ocean. We were like, "Oh, cool! We like we saw there were shanties. All right, cool." Spanish, that awesome. Spanish is, ladies yeah. ain't got no combs. That sounds like something you'd hear at the Apollo. Be like, you haven't noticed. <laughs> Spanish ladies, they don't have combs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm very excited. I told the guy, I said, yeah, like put me on the email list. Like when you put this thing on Kickstarter, I'm very excited to check it out. <laughs> Roll some dice and be a sea shanting sailor. That reminds me of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride where you're riding them in all the animatronic pirates are singing you get that skull that talks about how dead men tell no tales Mm -hmm. which is appropriate because the banker asks okay this atoll you're talking about where did they get the dirt and the mariner says oh they don't say and this guy in the crowd pipes in because these folks are nosy and he says we heard about that place they were all killed and the mariner's like well yeah that's why they didn't say where they got the dirt (laughs) they was all dead (laughs) so the mariner just intimated that he stole the dirt from dead people. Okay. Everybody's okay with it. There's no stealing from dead people in Waterworld. Yeah. As we soon as you're and dead I know, Waterworld. we've been over this before. <laughs> exactly. With the boat. <laughs> I took it legal. <laughs> it's fair game. But they dropped the subject. Just because he says that he took the dirt from dead people. They don't follow that up with, well, did you kill them? Well, the banker assumes that it's smokers. Yeah. I think the mariner is like more than happy to let that conversation die because you're right. He doesn't want to keep answering questions like, how'd you get the dirt? How are you so easy to get the dirt? Like, can we see your ears? You know, like he doesn't want (laughs) those lines of questions. So I guess he felt like if that's the answer that they're looking for to like drop this conversation so I get my chits and like get out, Mm -hmm. then yes. Like, I guess that's what it is. 
the Mariner should be really happy that the banker is not played by Steve Miller because the list of potential aggressors would have been a lot longer. With the banker, you're like smokers, but Steve Miller would have been like smokers, <laughs> jokers, midnight tokers, <laughs> pickers, grinners, like, lovers, wait, sitters. Shut up. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going. Shut up. That's a Rob Lumley level of like, let me get this joke out. Let me take you on a walk down a winding road for this joke. Jeez. That's great. Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of factions out there, but as far as we've come to understand in this movie, smokers and slavers are the two troublemakers. Although those slavers, they got some nice epoxy these days. Yeah. What is... The one thing that, I mean, he's got, he talks about later, is it resin he says he needs? Because he keeps saying that. Yep, that's one of the things. What is, why? Like, I don't, I never got that in a movie. I'm watching three hours. I never got what he's doing. I, I don't know what you need resin for in a future world. Future I'm pretty world. sure it's for, for waterproofing. The, yeah, for the boat. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, we will talk about it when we get to resin talk. Mm. But right. Resin time. Resin time. Resin time. Resin time. <laughs> Sorry. Can you make resin? And I'm I'm guessing that you can out of human bodies. Ooh. Because I know you make glue from horse hooves. And you can make soap out of human fat. Yes, you Fight can. Fight Club taught me that. Yes. So can you make resin or what they pass off as resin? Out of bodies. Like, yeah, can you boil can you boil bones and marrow and stuff and make a pulp out of that? Is a very good question. Mm-hmm. We gotta try that. The yeah, slavers. Go for it, Dave. I bet the slavers that. hate the smokers. <laughs> <laughs> the slavers come across a atoll that was ravaged by the smokers and they're like, Look at all these dead bodies. So wasteful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean the vibe that you get, you know, in this in this uh in this world is just like yeah, the trade like like we're we are at the end of that world. I didn't we it's gotta be talked about. We are definitely at the end of like the boom of this world. Like everyone's just gotten like nothing left. And like I said, like he sees dirt and he didn't, they don't know how to like w- he doesn't know how to like weigh that. What's the the cost of it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, pure hydro does make sense because it's like that is the primo of things. Does it bother anybody else that there's not a pre-established metric? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh yeah, 100%. First of all, it's not fair trade to the mariner to not know what the trade rate is. Yeah. Like he's the banker. He's it is literally making his it job. Up. <laughs> yeah. That's that is what the oddest thing is. You're right. He's not prepared for this. Yeah. Since there's no set price for it because it's so rare, wouldn't that mean that it is more valuable than pure hydro? Because there is a set price for pure hydro. Yeah. This atoll has a desalinator. It is one of the things that when you look around the atoll set, you've got these giant round steel spheres, and those are the desalinators for the atoll. They produce the clean water that people are able to drink and use to grow crops and things like that. You have a, in theory, limitless supply of pure hydro. You do not have a near limitless supply of dirt. So the fact that he's like, oh, yeah, we'll judge it like pure hydro. No, 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 no. You judge it for more than pure hydro. So I'm totally on board with the Mariner wanting twice what it's offered him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know what a chit is worth to them. I don't know how it compares to, like, caps and fallout or military ammunition in Metro 2033. But I think it is well within the Mariner's range of judgment, if that's even a phrase I can use, to say, no, 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 double that. He sees the desperation in the Elder's eyes. Yeah. Look at the Elder. The Elder's, like, looking like a, like a, like a hungry dog. And he's like, this, I know that guy standing behind the banker wants the dirt more than the banker cares. Yeah. And I got to make sure I plead to that guy. No, you're going to pay me twice because I I can see your eyes. I know you want this dirt. The Mariner has all the power. Mm -hmm. And I think he kind of abuses that power. When the banker is dumping the now doubled chits into the jar. Yeah. The Mariner grabs the bag. Like, no, stop pouring. I'm just going to take the whole thing. I love that move so much. It's such a power. Yeah, because he knows. He knows he's won. You're right. Yeah. Just 
He's what? I just want to say this elder, this one specifically, is the same guy that later on in this movie is going to be showing off to a crowd all the things that they find on the Mariner's boat. You're right. This guy doesn't have a name. None of the elders have names. And so I've identified them based on where they kind of crop up. So this guy is the commerce elder, as far as I'm concerned. But he's so quiet and behind the scenes in this scene, and then he just goes off the rails in future minutes. I'm excited that Mm -hmm. we get to see him now, because he's fun to watch later on. Grabbing the bag... Because the Mariner doesn't know how many chits are in this bag. My thing is that it could be less. Exactly. Than the 124 (laughs) chits that have been agreed upon. There could be less than that in the bag. And he's just like, no, no, I'll take the whole thing. And the deal's done. The deal's over. If he only got 110, well, that's the deal that you ended up making. Yeah, exactly. If he's expecting 128 and these bags are in, you know, multiples of 100, or if there are different colored or style chits and these are the low price chits that he's going to use to pay out some of the payment and then he's got higher value or lower value chits in another bag like he's maybe pouring out okay 62 times 2 is 124 and so these are the low price chits and so he's only going to shake out four chits and then he's going to go for the 20 chit chips or something like that (laughs) yeah Rick's chits, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We only ever see chits on the atoll. I don't know if there is a standardized value to a chit. Can you go from one atoll to another? No. With chits? No, I guarantee you can't. Kind of like a casino then. Yeah. Sure. I think it's their currency. It is valued according to their economy. This is like the 1920s with companies giving out coupons to their workers and those coupons are only good at the company store yeah i think that's exactly what's going on (laughs) which means that he has to spend those chits here and now Mm -hmm. there's no savings account yeah Hmm, interesting this is my thought i think a gener a couple generations ago yes i think there was because i think they were like oh excited to do business with other atolls so I bet you they did promote, like maybe they had certain like letters printed on the chit. So you knew what atoll this came from. Oh, this came from the alpha, ch- you know, then this came from the beta one. They each had their own little names they came up with themselves. But now since we are generations past and they're like dying off or they're getting smoked, it's like, no, like we can't let you just take these chits and like go to somewhere else to do commerce. Mm. It's not worth the risk that you'll ever come back or they'll ever trade back to us. That you're right. Then now it's now it's complete closed system. The, the chance of maybe is definitely gone. It's just like in our economy. Like we live in New Hampshire, and the powers that be in New Hampshire, they want us to spend our money in New Hampshire on local businesses. Keep it in the New Hampshire economy. That is yeah. what is best for our economy, which then strengthens everybody. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, now that things really aren't going that great for society as a whole, they want those chits. They want that to be traded within their own economy. I like the idea of having chits because it allows you to go to different places on the atoll and you don't have to have one centralized trading spot where everybody who comes into trade deals with one specific person and everybody gets cut out of that business. We mentioned as the Mariner was coming in that there was a possibility that there were sex workers in the atolls. You could take chits and go to the company store that Helen runs and spend money there. You can go to certain boats and spend money there and hire services from people in the atoll in that way. I think it's a good system. So you think this is a capitalist society as opposed to a socialist society where everything is centralized? I guess... Because I'm coming at it from a framework of someone who lives in a capitalist system. Right. You can't buy your way into an atoll, though. That's the one thing you can't do. Yeah. You're only allowed in if the recycling of bodies is, like, allowing it. They've definitely they've definitely found a way to say this amount of people can survive off of this amount of pure water. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing you can't buy. You can't buy, at least with this atoll, you definitely couldn't buy your way onto it. Yeah. 
Whereas it's funny that you cut to the deacon later. He's like, well, I got to get more guys and we got to get, we got to get more land to make more. And you're like, your, your thing is just like, <laughs> you're a wild and crazy guy. Like, <laughs> and then he says, he's like, ah, whatever. They'll, a month later, I'll deal with it down the line. Like they'll row. You're just like, man, you are, you're a crazy SOB. <laughs> you got. And I know the smokers, their society does have advantages of being more mobile. They have more fuel. They are larger. They have a psychopath leading them. (laughs) So they do have advantages that the atoll doesn't. But I think the atoll has done a good job of saying, okay, we can support 100 people. 100 people can live on this atoll. And we are going to control who comes and goes when... Resources are so scarce. What other options do you have than to be so exclusive? Speaking of people acting crazy, when the mariner walks away from the banker and he cuts that path down the crowd, first of all, cutting a path through a crowd is pretty great. But then when they cut back to the banker and he picks up the bowl of dirt off the scales. Oh my goodness. I think that's my favorite part of these minutes. He's got that crazy grin and his cheeks are just popping in such a perfect way and is he's grinning but it's not like a big grin it's kind of like a small grin <laughs> yeah it's like laughing it, to himself yeah it does bring to mind like obsessiveness like he is so into this dirt he's so excited to have it yeah in my notes i say that he literally giggles yes <laughs> i mean it's like he got out of yeah like like they called him in they said we need you to do your job and it's for like a really big deal and he feels like all right, like I did it. I got us the dirt. He got his chits. Like I think I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty solid. Oh and my that, God, get the dirt. Get, 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 that, get the dirt. <laughs> and your our elder over here, our commerce elder. You know, like he is just like he has a constant. I want to say nervous or uh, worried face. Yeah, because his eyes go. It goes mariner dirt, mariner dirt. Like he kind of flicks it back and forth. Like he's. It's like it's like his brain's thinking more about. I think that's what it is, Julie. I think his brain's thinking more about where did he get that dirt? Like he's, he's he's like it's too good to be true. Yeah, I think so. I think he realizes that an individual who mysteriously has this much dirt, who now has that much money, is going to cause problems for the atoll. There's no way this is not going to disrupt the peace in some way. Yeah. So leaving the banker behind. Yeah. We cut to the trading barge and our first look at Jean Triplehorn Ugh. as Helen and her opening line for this movie is her unbelievably or she's saying the word dirt in an unbelievable no okay she doesn't believe what she's hearing and yeah. I don't know the proper word to describe someone who says something in a way that t- insinuates that they don't believe it suspicious yes there we go I hate this. I hate this so much. (laughs) I hate this moment. First of all, it's a close-up on Jean Triplehorn. She does not look good. Her makeup doesn't look good. She looks amazing. Her makeup looks awful. I am impressed by how neat and shiny her hair is. How on earth do they have clean hair? (laughs) Hers is gorgeous. Anyways, that's not why I don't like it. This is our introduction to Helen. She is the co-star. And we get... One line, no follow-up, super close-up, dirt. It's so dumb that there's no reason for it. She should get a better introduction than this. Yeah, but then we cut to the barfly, and he's like, I have never seen pure. Okay. And it's just a great example that Helen is not only the store runner, she's also the bartender, and I guess the gossip taker. Because everyone is going to go to the bar and they're going to gossip to the bartender. And so all information flows through Helen. Yeah, that's very true. Here's the new idea then. Maybe this will be a better intro for her. We watch the barfly come in and it's like a, it's a shot where we watch it wide. Him coming in and saying like, Helen, you're not going to believe it. This guy <laughs> walked in with dirt. And then it cuts to like her like turn around and maybe she's like, Got plates, got cops, got something she's doing. She's like, "You're pulling my leg," or something like something along that that line. And maybe, and it shows her like, "I'm just doing my job, and I don't believe a damn thing you're saying, Barfly." <laughs> maybe that'll be better. Like it's it's it turns you know it, it's like her turning around, entering the scene more naturally rather than smack just just cut to Helen on state on screen. Yeah. 
maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you can see that. Any changes would have been better than this. But yeah, you're right, because her hair looks not as... Her hair just doesn't look as luscious as it does later in the movie when she's like on the boat. She's got the wind in her hair and stuff. And then she gets a cut by Cosner. Her hair like looks better in the end. Whereas <laughs> when we first see her, you're right, it's just braided and just... I don't, it kind of looks a little flat, but you're right. Yeah, you're right. Her 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 face does look drier than it than usual, like mm. later down the line. When we cut back to her after seeing the Barfly Atoller, she does have that look on her face. I described her in my notes as being agape, sitting there with her mouth hanging open, her hand hovering in front of her face as if the very I, idea of someone coming in with dirt is so ridiculous. I think she's contemplating how much he got for trade and where he's going to spend it. Mm, that's a good point. He has little choice but to go to her place. For one, she's got water. Yeah. So I think she's anticipating that she is going to meet him and have to deal with his ridiculous amounts of currency. I mean, if anything gives her something to do other than hang, you know, other than talk with the same barfly guy. Yeah. All yeah. day. <laughs> Someone else to talk to. Yeah. And then we got we get introduced to uh, Nord. Oh yes. Question: Is his name Nord, or is he the Nord? In the credits for this movie, uh-huh. he is credited simply as Nord. Okay, but so it is he his is dis- name, not his label. He's also described in the book as the Nord because okay. he is very obviously of Nordic descent. Yeah, we are talking about long blonde hair. Big eyebrows. Big commanding eyebrows. Like He is basically the default character from a game of Skyrim. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This <laughs> yeah. is a Vigo Carpathia you know, guy. That guy from Die Hard of Vigo uh, from mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. You're like, this guy, this guy f- fell off of a mountain somewhere. This guy exudes danger. And that's the thing, right? They had a whole thing about the Mariner coming in. And everyone's got like a hundred questions for him. This guy is a smoker like is able to chill at the bar all day and no one's like no one's worried about him mm-hmm. and he's just getting he's getting fr- virtually free advice from people this you got, you got you got that guy who's so desperate for the water uh you know he'll walk right up to him and tell him all the news about the girl that he's clearly been looking for the fact that they have a character in this movie that is literally called the hydroholic <laughs> makes me think of a morton joe and i'm like dang that crazy old guy was right. Water can take hold of you. <laughs> and you can resent its absence to the point where you will sell out your neighbor. When are you going to call up George again? And you're going to have him on and say, George, we got to talk about Waterworld. You're stealing from it. I love you, George. But I think Mr. Miller, uh, if you will, I think you've been stealing some ideas from Waterworld. I'm seeing some parallels here that are just a little too convenient. Miller's like, how are you talking about, Rick? <laughs> oh, man. This poor hydroholic. He's getting sold a raw deal because the Nord is taunting him by drinking out of the glass, which is, I'm not sure it's actually a glass. I'm pretty sure they just cut the top off of a plastic water bottle. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 That's some Dasani. <laughs> that is way too green to be good. Like, it's slimy. Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah it is that is i'm trying to think like is it cut with like maybe it's maybe it's cut with like bits of algae to kind of cut back on the salt like i don't know like where do you get the green chloroform you look in that chloroform we know that there are two quality levels when it comes to the water behind the bar we'll learn that in weeks to come yeah i'm not surprised that there is a little bit of buildup because you can only wipe down a cup with a rag so many times before it starts to just be permanently dirty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think, like, is there a way for them to try to cut the water so it's like, all right, it gets half salt cut out of it, but we add in some kind of, like, pond scum from the water that might have a different flavor to kind of, like, make up for it. So you're, like, not just drinking straight-tasting salt water. Like, something that makes it worth people to buy mm. you know i'm wondering if there's an algae that feeds on salt out of salt water so if the salinity is not too dense yeah then the algae can actually make a difference mm. i wonder if that exists 
that is a logical step. We have a fish man, so like definitely biological life forms, if not existing right now in 2020, would in fact definitely exist in uh, in, a, in a future water world. And algaes are like super good at surviving. Oh yeah. So if something like that doesn't exist now, then it would have evolved to do so because there just isn't enough fresh water around for them to keep growing. So they would have to be like, okay, I'm okay with some salt water. Bring in some salt water. I can grow in that too. Rick Priority looked this up before I even asked the question, but like, I know that they always try to figure out, they always try to find like biological life forms that can like eat plastic and trash. Cause like we just got trash floating out in the ocean. They're just like, <laughs> man, we could just get some kind of allergy to eat trash, boy. <laughs> we, 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 like that, like, and you know, there's some capitalist that, uh, some company, it's like, stunks you know like they get on 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 trash eating algae there are bacteria that eat plastic okay i don't see why this cup couldn't be dyed green because someone brought in a blender that they changed to be a manual blender and so they had seaweed smoothies yeah okay or something along those lines a green based drink and they served it in the glasses and now the glasses are permanently tinged green that could be right, yeah. Like, I mean, seaweed could have some uh, properties that are like decent to ingest. I think, right? Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. Along these lines of algae that eats salt, they have discovered a bacteria that eats radiation. Oh, they found it in Chernobyl. Oh, it's consuming the radiation in Chernobyl. Oh man, that's that's that Godzilla shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious about what happens next. Yeah, yeah man. Oh, we gotta call Mark. We gotta call Mark. <laughs> I think I remember seeing something along the lines of wild boars from the Chernobyl area wreaking havoc on Europe, or some headline to that effect. Oh man. Well, they'll definitely talk about it in the new Stalker game. They'll definitely yeah. bring it up. <laughs> they'll definitely be seeing like Stalker. You must kill the wild boars. You're like, I'm on it. <laughs> that is a thing. So this hydroholic, he brings up the subject of a girl with inkings on her back. This is the first time we've heard of it. It's going to be revealed in minutes down the road. But he describes that she's got inkings on her back. I've seen her. They say if you read the marks on the child, they'll lead you all the way to dry land. And the Nord insists that dry land is a myth. We haven't talked about islands or continents or anything like that because we just assume from the opener that there is no land left so it's interesting to in this situation here that there are still people who believe that there is land out there somewhere i think it's inevitable that that is something that people believe just like people naturally produce art in the form usually of jewelry it's human nature it's also human nature to have something to believe in Mm -hmm. and to have myths a culture so i think whether or not it's physically possible for there to be dry land they are going to have myths about there being dry land Hmm. because it's the thing that they lack something to cling to yeah and looking at greek mythology a lot of greek mythology is used to explain how something was created how something works the discovery of something and they're doing the same thing They don't have dry land, therefore there's a myth about dry land. It's inevitable. I wonder if there's people in the theater at this point that were like, it's probably going to be Mount Everest. And they're like, they're like, (laughs) leaning over like, like they're the first to think about it. Like, oh, well, you know, I know a lot about geography and I think it's going to (laughs) be Everest. And then they're like, well, I called it about a couple hours ago. No big deal. They're all like walking out of the theater. Everyone's like, yeah, we got it, Bob. You got, we got it. Yeah. In the extended edition, at the end when they reach dry land, there is a scene where they find a plaque mm-hmm. saying that it's Mount Everest. Yep. I'm so glad they cut that. Oh, you don't like it. I like no, it. No, I think but... it's dumb. Because okay. no kidding, this is Mount Everest. <laughs> where, do they, where do people think they are? Like, yeah. okay, the characters, it's interesting for them to learn that this place has a name, but the name doesn't mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. That scene is for us. And we're like, yeah, where else were they going to be? It's the cinematic equivalent of us getting to the end of the Planet of the Apes 
and Charlton Heston seeing the Statue of Liberty and being like, huh, that's interesting to look at. And we're sitting in the theater like, oh, my God, he was on Earth the entire time. But if it meant nothing to him, it would be the same thing as the Everest plaque. I will give you that it serves the same function of telling us that this is our planet, even though the opener physically showed us (laughs) that it is our planet. Yeah. But it serves the same purpose of, hey, guess what? You were on Earth the whole time. (laughs) It would have been more surprising if the plaque said on this date, Glibglorp and Flizzleblob planted a flag and it was like, oh no, this was an alien planet the whole time. <laughs> I, 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 I want to agree. I want to agree with you, Julia. <laughs> I, I agree that the plaque is a little on the nose, but I also feel like it's a criticism that there would have been s- cooler, smarter ways of doing that, hinting at this is Mount Everest. And here's my, here's, here's an idea. Cause, cause the tents, I don't think are enough. I don't think the tent, those, those little, those little tents because you're like, things. you know, I'm just a, a white guy who only speaks English. I don't know what language that is. I know it's somewhere of, like, Eastern Asian descent, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm not certain. It could be. You could say, oh, this was actually uh, one of, like, the uh, Mongolian mountains outside of China. I'd go, okay, I believe it. But I wouldn't know. You could say, oh, it's Tibet. Oh, okay. All right. Like, I, you know, you could say anything. I would, I would, I would, I would agree with you. I think it would have been cool if you could, if there were hints of like mountain hiking gear that's been it's like in a tree or like in the ground i I get it enough time has passed where it's not a mountain it's it's more of a tropical island but if there was some way to show oxygen tanks everywhere yeah just yeah some kind of saying that like people were in mountain gear here a millennia ago i think would have been so cool and hinted at that because I mean, I don't know, maybe it wasn't talked about in the 90s, but I definitely feel like nowadays everyone knows there's dead bodies at the top of Mount Everest and you just it's just a fact of life. You have to walk right past them. Yeah. That is a subject I find fascinating and I've done a lot of reading on it. And when we get to the end, I get to talk about it. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm excited. So, so, but what do you think though? In like 93, 94, do you think people like knew that as common knowledge? Like, oh yeah, there's just... No. People went over there, they took a plane, and uh, guess what? Uh, you know, that, that teacher that went over there that tried to conquer a thing, oh, they died. Oh, okay. You know? I don't think it was as common knowledge. I think if this movie were made today, those details on Everest later on in the movie would be more appreciated. Because today yeah. we know we have a lot of like photographs and whatnot of all of the trash that gets left behind yeah. up there. We know about the bodies. In the past, people have attempted to retrieve the bodies, and more people have died. So now we know if you die up there, you're staying up there. So I think in the 90s, that just wasn't really as common knowledge, general population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somehow you could, sh- when they were in the little village, if there was some way to show hiking gear that's been repurposed, like the hiking like mountain idea. things are, like the hiking boots are now like tree climbing boots or something. Like like the way like uh, guys climb uh, telephone line poles, climbing hooks repurposed into agricultural tools. Yes, I yeah. think that would have been a little bit more smarter and like would have been a more subtle nod rather than a pluck. <laughs> I think because then you like you like you you it's it's Everest, but at least you know it's a mountain that people had hiked a long time ago, and that's good enough to go to bed on yeah. rather than just hit him with the plaque. So. Long story short, we're back to this part where it's just a map and we don't know what. And do you think was it weird to be like that's how that's our plot point? A girl has a tattoo, or is that like maybe that was like maybe that was the hook of like the original guy who wrote the the first draft of this was like, what if a tattoo had a map? So the tattoo is something that has existed through many iterations of this story in the ninety one screenplay that I read the tattoo is actually a lot harder to decipher. Here in this movie, you've got the circle, you've got the drawing of the mountain on the top, you've got the arrow pointing to the mountain, and then a lot of text that's not in English. In the original screenplay, it's a crescent shape, what looks like a crescent moon, and then it's got a little triangle cut out of it. And the whole idea is that you have to look at the moon during an eclipse 
and the shadow of Everest will cast a triangular shadow on the eclipse. Woof. It's very strange and probably way more complicated than it really needed to be. Yeah. Which is why they redesigned it to how it is now, where it's basically, oh, hey, yeah, look, this is a mountain. And if you could read this script, you could probably have, all right, go this way for this many miles or whatever, turn here. Like, if you could read this script, you can probably find dry land in no time flat. I have lots more thoughts. <laughs> we should probably wait until we actually yeah. see the tattoo, though. Yeah. For when we actually see the tattoo. I gotta wait weeks to hear about it. (laughs) Damn it. I want all the secrets now. The important detail that the hydroholic follows this up with is that the smokers possibly have an eye to find this little girl and the Nord not being suspicious at all or tipping (laughs) off the audience in the slightest says, well, then we better keep it to ourselves. (laughs) <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm the smoker spy. <laughs> and that's what he offers with uh, the water, because now it's like we are in agreement. I'll give you this water, and you keep that. You keep it on your hat, mm-hmm. your little hairnet hat. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, rumors fly around this atoll like wildfire, because no one can keep their mouth shut about the dirt. Because by the way, I didn't realize till just now he is wearing a hair hat net because he's bald. Mm-hmm. But you need to have hair because your your scalp's going to get cooked. Because you ain't got no tree coverage in Waterworld, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's clearly like a bunch of hair that he was able to get, and he just has it hair netted on because he just is bald. There are some choice hats in this movie. There are. And you know what? This reinforces from a few minutes ago the guy with the long white, white hair who wanted to trade it for just a glass of water. The gatekeeper and whoever, they had a little conversation of, hey, he does have some pretty good hair. You can go trade it if you want, but he doesn't get to come inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the side, that, that what they call the side barter or something like that. It must be yeah. like at the, it was like, I guess they have like a little, like little counter. Like, yeah. Hello? There's <laughs> a little no drive-through window. <laughs> yeah, the guy's got like yeah, snippers and a cup of water. <laughs> sip, 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 drink your water. All right, thank you for close business. Because <laughs> <laughs> that hair can be useful to make, all Hats sorts of things. Of kinds, of certain kinds. Next week, you're probably going to bang out when he's asking about fishing line, and she's like, We got hair. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like, if you're able to, like, I, that, oh my God, that's got to be a job. Someone has to, like, fuse hair oh together God. to make rope. Like, Think about it that. together. That sounds yeah. awful. Yeah. That sounds Take awful. Hair and be like, There's fishing line. There's a net. There is a, uh, 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 yeah, like, like that. Like, Probably that hair net is made of hair, and they made it binding, so then he could just put a little toupee on. So, because it's probably somehow that was cheaper than a hat for the for the hydroholic. He's like, I don't take the hair net. Hat. He's a hydroholic. At one point, he probably had a lot of chits, and he spent <gasps> it all on water, and now he is destitute in the he bar, sold his, he sold trading secrets for water. And that hat is the most expensive thing he still owns, but he won't give it up because of vanity. Oh, wow. Oh. Man. He probably had a really cool hat, too. He had like a nice brimmed hat, and it just the hydro got to him. We're layering yeah. so many new aspects on these characters that are on screen for minutes. So does that mean that... people who have like good hair, quality hair, have a commodity to trade? Oh, absolutely. Okay. For one... I would do great in Wild World then because I have a lot of thick hair that grows fast. There you go. Bane of my existence. (laughs) Two, does that mean that Helen, who has a lot of long hair, is that a sign of prosperity that she has not had to cut off her hair to sell it? She runs the trading post. That's a pretty prosperous position. Yeah. Then why isn't everybody like shorn? (laughs) Because you need to grow out your hair to a certain length. Yeah. Before you cut it off, it's a well, way yeah, that you can a functional make, length. It's a way that you can make sure that your hair rope has less joins to it before you get a full strand. I guess I'm not sure that this society is properly using the renewable resource of hair. I never see much beards either. No one's really got beards. Everyone's got like five o'clock shadows. No one's got beards. No one's like doing anything with the beard, like. Like the beard could be like some kind of sweat gland catcher to make into water or something. Oh 
No one's done anything. I don't see anything with that here at the atoll. Their way of life is dying. There's no no two ways. They could about be it. doing better. Yep. I know you're gonna bring this up. His we get because we got a shot of his boots. Are those hiking? Like, what are these boots? Are these supposed to be old hiking boots? You think? Oh, those ski are the, boots. Yeah, those are the ski, ski boots. boots. That's that he, the word that he ski fished boots. out of the water. Yeah. Which makes sense because he probably easily got to it because he went to an underwater mountain mm-hmm. that there yep. was he found he found ski boots there. Yep. And he had some skis and some ski poles and a thigh master and a thigh master. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Because no. what do you do when you've been skiing all day? You go back to the ski lodge and you use a thigh master. What are his pants, though? I'm trying to make sense of what his pants are. Are they, like, they're strips, but... Oh, I, we haven't really talked about that at all. Let's talk pants. Pants talk. I just assume that whenever you see patched together clothing like this, it's tanned fish skin. Yeah. To make some sort of fish leather. All right. Yeah. Maybe there's so many strips because it also could be like, it could be like eel or something. Yeah. When you've got yeah. sharks that are so big that you can hang them off of a pier and the ribs are the size of your arm, that's a lot of skin that you can strip off and treat Yeah. somehow. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at a bit of a close up of his vest and there is definitely a texture to it that is reminiscent of some sort of sea creature. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily scaly, but... Something. <laughs> it's something all right. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this chunk of minutes, though. Dave, it's always good when two podcasters meet on the open ocean of the internet for something to be exchanged. Oh, yeah. We've given you airtime, so I think it's only right that you give us back some plugs so that people can <laughs> find your stuff on the internet. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm still just plugging along. Almost done my cruise of... Uh, Five Minutes of Mystery, where I talk about the 1999 superhero comedy ensemble Mystery Men. Obviously, a couple, you know, way, way, way long ago in the before times. <laughs> I did Groundhog Day with uh, Sean German. We did Groundhog Minute because everybody is blogging about it now. So it's like, man, they're talking about Groundhog Day. But we talked about Groundhog Day before, like, we were living it. Now everybody's living <laughs> it. And I'm like, I don't know what else to say. Like, we, we covered it. I mean, we mostly cover diner food, I'll, I'll agree. Like, we spent so much time on blueberry waffles, and people are like, yeah, but what if we're in a pandemic where we sit here, we talk about the same things, and we're in a circle, and politically, we're, un, we're unsure of things? You go, well, yeah, I guess, you, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess there's that, too. So, yeah, but so long story short, five minutes of mystery. Talk about, talk about some superhero comedies. <laughs> Spectacular. As for Waterworld, when we come back next week, it is time for the Mariner to spend those hard-earned chits at the Atoll's only trading post hey, baby. and come face-to-face with the woman who will change his life. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 8. We'll see you next time.